You are listening to Dermcast.tv, the official online media resource for the Society of Dermatology PAs. Today we're going to talk about a new product. I'm relatively new. It's, it's more than a year old already. So I'm excited on this product. The reason is because it's steroid-free. And also it's a topical treatment uh, for the the patients who have been under-treated before, ages two and above. So whenever I hear a new, relatively new product that is steroid-free and for the kids, I get excited. So just to remind you, uh, this program is, a, is sponsored by Pfizer, and I'm a paid consultant for Pfizer. So I have to follow uh, the program. I'm not going to deviate from the slides because uh, FDA guidelines require that I follow the slides. And, uh, and just to let you know, you're getting a good lunch, but it's not going to be CME. So you can't have both. Okay. The other thing, too, is that I have to talk about the indications for Eucrisa. Uh, what they are, and I'm not going to go outside that indication because, again, FDA guidelines require that I don't talk about other things. So I'm, I'm glad you are, you are Derm PAs because I have people that I present to that are primary care, and we always end up talking about Viagra, which is also a Pfizer product, and honestly, you know, I don't recommend putting Eucrisa in replacement of Viagra, but that's just my personal opinion. But, you, you know, you guys are nice and clean. You don't have those uh, vices that primary care physicians have. Okay, for this uh, program, we're going to go through a topic dermatitis, some overview, and then we're going to delve into Eucrisa, talk about the product, the mechanism of action, and phase three trial design efficacy profile, safety and tolerability profile, the dosing information, a real world case study. And then I'm gonna also show you the important safety information. I'm actually gonna overdose you with the important safety information. And then last but not least, uh, the slide that everybody loves, it's the summary slide. So overview of atopic dermatitis. Nearly 18 million children and adults are estimated to have atopic dermatitis in the United States alone. And in that, around uh, that 18 million, 90% of them have mild to moderate atopic dermatitis which is the best thing because can you imagine majority of them having the severe form? That to me is very emotionally distressing. Uh, I'd like an easy day. I'd like to have uh, to deal with the mild to moderate and then once in a while you get a challenge and if that challenge is 10%, I'm happy. And uh, atopic dermatitis, in my world, I tell people, how do you know you got atopic dermatitis? The first rule of thumb is it's like real estate, location, location, location. So in this case, when they are infants, it's pretty much everywhere except the diaper area. And the most common areas are the antecubitals and the popliteal fossas. 
And then when they become adults, they tend to go to certain locations again. And in this case, the neck, the antecubital fossa, the hands, and the ankles, and the popliteal fossa, and the knees are also very prevalent areas where they are involved. So those are the things that we use to look for some clues whether the patient have atopic dermatitis. And then this is, I have to apologize ahead of time. If you look at this slide, it's a very, very busy slide. You have all the colors on this side. You have the children, you have the adult, and then on this side you have these small letterings of, uh, that talks to you about quality of life in children and quality of life in adults. So just to let you know, um, you want the long version or the short version? So the short version, if, you, if you're very, you know, uh, don't want to listen too much about the details of this slide, all I'm going to say is that if you have atopic dermatitis, starting in childhood and then going into adulthood, your quality of life is shitty, okay? <laughs> so let's just go ahead and focus on the gray area, gray being it's shitty day. Uh, it's not blue, so it's shitty gray, okay? So look at the mild atopics in children. It's not a lot of shitty days. If you have moderate, you have a big bar of grayness in your, in your life. So your life is shitty, right? Why, why is life shitty? Okay. The itching, constant itching. You cannot sleep. And then you start going to school. You itch at school. You have a lot of excoriations. Nobody want to sit next to you because they think you have the cooties because of those excoriations. Your teacher thinks you're dumb because you fall asleep in class. And then because you're so itchy, you are lacking in sleep. You don't enjoy the good things in life. You probably don't want to play with your PlayStation or your Nintendo because you want to go to sleep and you can't pay attention. And you are the kid who ends up having all those pills for hyperactivity disorder, attention deficit, because that's the kind of life you've started with. Uh, it's really shitty, right? So if you go switch now and you continue on to have atopic dermatitis as an adult, look at the very gray area of an adult. So it's a bigger area of gray, even in the mild uh, severity, and even a bigger, bigger area of darker gray in the moderate severity in adults. So that means that if you started your life shitty, then in adults, it's even shittier, right? So as an adult, you know, you continue not paying attention, so you end up having problems with your personal relationships, you can't get the job that you want, you're not doing well in school, you're kind of the Debbie Downer, you don't really uh, enjoy things in, in life, and there's uh, your daily activities, it's just all affected. And then on top of that, you have to pay a lot of money just to get minimal effect in terms of your treatment. So if you want to summarize this slide, 
for patients with mild to moderate atopic dermatitis, as the disease severity worsens, there is a greater effect on your quality of life. In other words, it's shittier. So for us, we need to really pay attention to this because the impact on our patients is great. We could make a big difference for these patients if we could start early in life and get them on the right treatment. Okay, so what are the mainstay of treatment? So we know there's non-pharmacologic and pharmacologic options. The non-pharmacologic options are moisturizers, and you all know there's like a ton of them in the market. And then there's the bathing practices, you know, the derms like to bathe, the allergists do not like to bathe, the derms like to bathe the kids, the primary care physicians do not like to bathe the kids. So usually what we do is we go in between. When they're babies, we recommend that, you know, they're babies, they're not sweaty, they're not stinky. Uh, we don't bathe as much. And also by doing that, you kind of preserve the microbiome. We're not that clean, and we want to preserve that microbiome. But as they start to get uh, to become toddlers, they run around, they roll around in dirt, they are exposed to allergens, that's when bathing practices are a lot more frequent. So that really is an individual choice that for me in my practice, when they're babies, you know, I don't tend to get them to bathe that much, but as they start to become mobile, touching everything, then, they, then we increase that uh, frequency. Now, the third issue here is wet wrap therapy. That is a very common um, um, non-pharmacologic option that was originated at Mayo. Uh, personally, I think it's a lot of work. And personally, I don't know about you. If somebody wraps me in a wet pajama and then put on a dry pajama on top of that, it is torture. I mean, it's like going to sleep with a diaper, a wet diaper on. It's not good. So um, really, but if you're desperate, you go around wearing a wet diaper all over you, that would be your choice. We have parents who love that, and then we have parents who don't love that. Actually, majority of the parents do not love it. It's a lot of work. Pharmacologic options, topical corticosteroids, uh, we all know that. That is been, has been the mainstay of treatment for over 40 years, and we all know patients come in with steroid phobia. They come in telling you what they don't want you to prescribe, and so that's a big issue. And with the patients not liking steroid, they also don't like to use it that long. And unfortunately, we have a chronic problem here. You have to use it on and off, and your patients really do not want to use the treatment. And as, as a result, we get treatment failures due to noncompliance. And then there's topical calcineurin inhibitors, and uh, I can say a lot about that, but I lived through the uh, TCI black box warning, and that was painful. Everybody wanted to discuss black box. And, and I have just learned to say, please do not feed it to the rats. And then don't eat the rat that ate the TCI. 
or you are not a rat, so therefore it's safe for you. And then there's other agents that I'm not going to go through. So let's delve into Eucrisa. So Eucrisa is the first and only steroid-free topical phosphodiesterase 4, PDE4 inhibitor, indicated for the treatment of mild to moderate atopic dermatitis in patients two years and older. And I'm going to show you the uh, proven clinical efficacy and safety data of Eucrisa in both treatment-naive and treatment-experienced patients. And then Eucrisa is a no-brainer. You could apply it anywhere on the body, on the face, from nose to toes. That's what my patients tell me. So it is for topical use only. Do not tell your patients or warn your patients not to put it in their eyes and not to eat it. We already learned from the black box, don't eat your creams or intravaginally. Uh, Some patients, I say, don't put it in there. It's not KY jelly. Okay. These people here have dirty uh, minds. I can tell by the amount of laughter there. So for the first um, important safety information, uh, the thing that you see with this slide is a very short slide. So really, that's what we love, is a short slide on safety information. You don't want to have a list as long as your arm. So the first two things, contraindications, warning, and precautions, occur in any drug because you could have hypersensitivity to it or to the components of the formulation. So that's kind of something that is a given. The, the, the last one is the adverse reaction uh, unique to Eucrisa, and I urge you to always discuss that with your patients because it's all about expectations. If you don't discuss it and something happens like burning and stinging, you may lose that patient. Your patient may get mad at you. And in my case, I had a patient who actually asked for a refund of her Eucrisa. So it's very unpleasant. So I, I've learned to tell them this is one of the side effects. And if that does happen, I have ways to kind of alleviate that problem. So again, a lot of patients, they have their smartphones all the time when they come to your clinic. And I usually want, they always ask what's in it, what's so special about it. So. If you look at the ingredients of the vehicle, you notice that there are only six ingredients, really, and three of them are highly moisturizing ingredients, such as white petrolatum, mono and diglycerides, and paraffin. And then the propylene glycol is more as a penetrant, and then the putylated hydroxytoluene and EDTA is more of a preservative. So by telling this to the patient, you're disclosing that, hey, it doesn't have all those negative things that they don't like. And these days, patients have things that they just don't resonate with them. Things such as PABA, when they hear there's PABA, they get turned off. And when they hear, uh, then you can even say, look, it's gluten-free, see? So they love those words. Too bad it doesn't have coconut oil, but I think coconut oil is 
so, so, so popular. I think they drink coconut milk, then they douse themselves with coconut oil. I mean, they just happy as a hog with coconut these days. Uh, I don't understand it. And they cook with coconut oil. It's coconut everywhere. So anyway, just to re kind of reinforce, the vehicle is emollient rich. So when they went and thought about formulating this product, they had the active ingredient. In addition, they put the active ingredient in an emollient rich vehicle. Because in dermatology, what do we say? What draws us apart from the non-dermatologist? Vehicle matters, and we understand that. Uh, the insurance company don't, and sometimes pharmacists don't, but we are the ones who understand vehicle matters. So what's the mechanism of action, mechanism of the disease of atopic dermatitis? Oh, this is where we get like the uh, video. Very mechanism of action of Eucrisa, Chrysoboral ointment, 2%. Atopic dermatitis is associated with excessive cytokines, which have been shown to contribute to the signs and symptoms of atopic dermatitis. These cytokines are regulated at the intracellular level by overactive PDE4 enzymes in immune cells. Overactive PDE4 degrades cyclic AMP to AMP, resulting in overproduction of these inflammatory cytokines. While the mechanism of action of chrysoboral for the treatment of atopic dermatitis is not well-defined, chrysoboral penetrates into the skin, including the epidermis and the dermis. Preclinical studies show us that by inhibiting PDE4 in inflammatory cells, chrysoboral prevents the enzyme from degrading cyclic AMP, resulting in increased intracellular cyclic AMP levels. This may result in reduced levels of inflammatory cytokines associated with atopic dermatitis which is theorized to reduce the signs and symptoms of atopic dermatitis. Okay, so that was uh, great uh, because that was a very painful thing for me to present. So they took that away from my control. So the next thing is the phase three trial. This is a trial designed for, an F, for the efficacy profile of Eucrisa. So this is the trial where they studied Eucrisa as a monotherapy in two multi-center, randomized, double-blind, vehicle-controlled trials. And, and they first screened the patients, and then they put them on trial one or trial two. And if you look at the number of patients enrolled in the trial, it's a lot of patients, 763. And then they randomized them, Eucrisa to vehicle 221. And in trial one, only four patients dropped out. In trial two, one patient dropped out. And then they applied the Eucrisa or the vehicle twice a day for 28 days. And they followed the uh, endpoint at day 29 and the primary efficacy endpoint. Okay. And this is how they screened the patients. Uh, patients have to be two years and older clinical diagnosis of AD. They have to have 5% or more BSA, and they have to have what we call a baseline investigator static global assessment, 
which is ISGA, of two, which is mild, or moderate, which is uh, uh, three. So I'm just going to go over that two with you because the ISGA is something that a lot of insurance companies are using uh, for you to document on the prior art forms to approve the, the medication. And they kind of got onto that just so you could be confused. And if you don't understand ISGA, you may not be able to answer it, okay? So the key exclusion criteria is that they have to wash out if they have used TCI or TCS within the last 14 days if they're on systemic corticosteroids or immunosuppressants within the last 28 days, or if they have significant active infection or any previous use of biologics. And this is the clinical trial endpoints. The primary efficacy endpoint is proportion of patients achieving success of, in ISGA of clear or almost clear at day 29. In addition to that, they have to have at least a two-grade improvement from baseline. And I'm going to show you that in, with another slide. And then secondary endpoint is the time to success of, in ISGA, uh, defined as a proportion of patients achieving an ISGA of clear, almost clear, uh, and at least two-grade improvement from baseline. And also the proportion of patients who achieve an ISGA of clear, almost clear at day 29. And then they also look at primary safety assessments. And in addition, they also look at the, the dermatology-related quality of life assessments. Uh, and they look at the children's uh, uh, dermatology life quality index and dermatology life quality index uh, in adults. So in other words, what did I say? They're going to say, is your life shittier after you use Eucrisa or better? So this is ISGA, right? So in this study, when you start with an ISGA of two, which is mild, and at the end of the study, you have to have a two-grade improvement uh, of clear, which is uh, from mild uh, to almost clear to clear. So that's two-grade improvement. And then if you started as moderate, you have to be almost clear. That's two-grade improvement or three grade improvement to clear. So in order to be a success, you have to be zero or one at the end of the study, and then you have to have a two grade, at least a two grade improvement uh, from baseline. So this study is actually uh, something that is safe in children because what they did was nine out of 10 in the study were less than 18 years old. So when the parents ask, is this safe for children or did you just test this mainly in adults? You could proudly say that this study is 90% children and 10% adults. And also a lot of parents say, you know, is it only does it only work in Caucasians? Uh, this study, once again, is like America. It's the melting pot. You have white uh, uh, patients in the study, black or African-American, Asians, and other races that are mixed in this study. So it's not just like one-dimensional. And then 60% uh, of the people in the study are moderate and 40% in the mild category. 
and there's a big range of body surface area between 5 to 90 percent uh, in the vehicle and 5 to 95 percent in Eucrisa. Okay, so this is the result of the study. So in trial one with the vehicle, they have 25 percent success at day 29. And with Eucrisa, 32 percent success at day 29. So remember, our vehicle is the emollient-rich vehicle, and you know it also has an effect on atopic dermatitis success. So that's why you have a good number at the end of the study. And if you look, it is reproducible because trial two has the same statistically significant result with the vehicle being 18% success and Eucrisa 31% success. And then uh, when they followed the time points in this study, the earliest that they followed was day eight. So in day eight, as early as day eight, you could already see the deviation of Eucrisa from the vehicle, 14% versus 5.4% with vehicle. So that's a bigger, so that means that Eucrisa has an earlier onset of success in, in this study. And then towards the end, which is day, day 15 and day 22 and by to, day 29, you see the vehicle is actually trying to catch up with the Eucrisa group. Uh, so in other words, you could see a bigger earlier onset of the Eucrisa group compared to the vehicle. The good thing about this data too is that you could see that as early as day eight, you're already seeing a difference. And the good thing about it, if you want to translate it to real life, you tell your patients, don't call me at day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, which they will. So at least you could say the studies show at day eight, you already see the difference, but I can't tell you anything before that. So it decreases the hassles of them calling you every day. That's just in my practice, okay? So what about the secondary endpoint? Um, secondary endpoint showed that half of Eucrisa patients achieve an ISGA of clear, almost clear at day 29. And that's with the trial one and also with trial two. And it's statistically significant. And this is an actual patient who achieved success in ISGA using Eucrisa monotherapy in the pivotal trials. In day one, they started with a baseline of ISGA of three, and then by day eight, they became ISGA of two, day, day 15, still two, day 20, 22, still two, day 29, it's down to one. So as you could see, by day 29, almost clear, and then by day 29, you have a two-grade improvement from baseline, went from ISGA of three to ISGA of one. So once again, very busy slide. This is for the uh, child, the children's quality of life index. And they could see that there is a, a slight uh, decrease in terms of symptoms, uh, quality of life symptoms in the Eucrisa group compared to the emollient-rich vehicle. 
And the same thing can be said about 16 and over, where the quality of life index scores actually improve with the UQISA group compared to the uh, vehicle group uh, from baseline. So uh, safety and tolerability. A lot of your PEDS patients, your parents, that's the first thing they will ask to make sure that this medicine is is indeed safe for their for their babies. So, as I, again, I'm telling you, what only one thing you need to talk about is the application site pain. And in this study, four percent reported application site pain with the Eucrisa group, one percent with the vehicle group. And I'd like to direct you to uh, your attention to the line number two, and I'll read that for you. Application site pain resolved within one day for about 78% of patients who reported application site pain. In other words, if they persisted already after one day, 78% of the patients had already improved and did not have any more application site pain. So in other words, you tell your patients, suck it up, buttercup, okay? Because a lot of them, they say, oh, it burns, I don't want to use it after one. So you need to kind of get them through that burning stage, and we'll talk about that later. And in this trial, the discontinuation rates due to adverse events were 1.2% for both Eucrisa and Vigo, which is really low. So the next thing is, People will ask you, well, it's a chronic problem. Is it safe in the long run? You're going to be using this on and off, on and off, and you did show a month's treatment is safe. What about like a year? So that's why they evaluated Eucrisa in a 48-week open-label safety extension study. And the people that they enrolled in the trial one and trial two were approached and then they said we want to do a long-term study. So about 517 patients were enrolled in the long-term study and they were all evaluated and they were all evaluated every 28 days. If they have an ISGA greater or equal to two, they get automatically put on Eucrisa twice a day for the whole 28 days. If they have an ISGA of less than one, they get off treatment for the whole 28 days. So the, in other words, it's simulating real life situation. They go on, they go off, they go on, they go off. And then at the end of the, page, of the study, the patients were analyzed and then they want to know what kind of adverse events that they had to report. And this is the result of the adverse events. 3% had recurrent atopic dermatitis. That's expected because these patients have atopic dermatitis. And 2% in the long-term study had application site pain, which is more or less the same as the short-term study. And then 1% had application site infection. And there were no reports of application site cutaneous adverse reactions of atrophy or telangiectasias. 
because that is one of the things people will ask. Is, go, is it going to thin my skin? So at least with this study long term where they put Euclisa on and off for a whole 48 weeks, they didn't get that. And also they didn't, with, the others, with this study, they had no reports of things such as hypopigmentation. And in this study as well, the discontinuation rate was 1.7% for Euchrysa. So the other thing that they found with this study, if you have a long-term study, you know your patients can flare and can flare badly. And they were thinking if they flare badly, they obviously would need a rescue therapy. So in this long-term study, they found that only 78% uh, did not, that 78%, which is a big amount, did not need to have rescue therapy. In other words, that's all they needed was Euchrysa, 78% of them. And then only 22% of them uh, required a rescue therapy with the steroid, which is pretty good. In other words, we're doing a good job of maintaining a majority of these patients where they only require uh, Euchrysa. In other words, by maintaining them, they're getting better control, thereby need, the need for other therapy is not required. Dosing information. So I, I always like to recommend this slide because at least you see what it looks like. And uh, because now people are starting to use them and they can't remember the name as usual. They say it's the, the tube that has a lot of purple dots in it. Then I know what they're talking about. And then these days it's getting used a little bit more. They tell me their, their primary care gave them a tube that started with a U. And I say, you Chrisa. Okay? So that's, that, well, that's what people remember, the color or the lettering. So and unfortunately, they never tell you what exactly they're using. So again, because of the long-term study, there's no limitations on duration of use. You don't have to say only use it for two weeks, only use it for so much time, four days. With Euchrysa, there's no limitations of use. And there's a big range of BSA that's used in this study. So again, there's no limitations on how much body surface area you're gonna use it on. And because there's no hypopigmentation in, uh, as adverse events in this study, it can be used on all skin tones. And their trials actually uh, use patients with all skin tones. So that's, and you could apply this anywhere on the face and the body. Again, important safety information. I urge you not to forget to talk about application site pain, such as burning and stinging. So what I used to do, what I do in my clinic is that when they do come uh, with atopic dermatitis, I take a little sample to the, to the uh, room and I actually apply it on the patient. So if you apply it and there's no burning, off they go with a prescription. If they do have burning, that's when, I, that's when I tell them, here, I'm ready with a cold gauze, and I apply it right away on top of the skin that's burning. 
a lot of time that resolves the burning. And also give them some counseling uh, that's in my clinic. That's what I do. You know, you can do whatever you want. I tell them to either use a cold aquaphor, Vaseline, or I even use the Eucrisa that's cold. So there are some options they could do if they are um, complaining of burning. Now, sometimes whatever you do, they burn, right? It's like they, they say, whatever I do, it burns, and they scream, and they burn. The reason they're burning a lot sometimes is because you may be forgetting that the area is so excoriated, even water would burn. So at that point, you know you're not just dealing with moderate atopic, you're probably dealing with a subset of severe atopic dermatitis. In which case, I recommend that you use your friendly topical steroid to bring the inflammation down for a few days. And once you get to the level of mild to moderate, then you can move on and switch over to Eucrisa. By doing that technique, you could actually uh, make your patients happy or happier because you're working with them. Uh, how did you work with them? you're reducing the number of days that they're using the steroid, so they're happy, and then you are using more Eucrisa, so you feel safe, so both you and the patient's happy, so everybody's happy, 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 right? So that's another thing, and then you have patients who are, well, you know, a lot of patients are not happy all the time, that they are the ones who say, I really don't like steroids, and, uh, but I need the steroids because I need to uh, alleviate the burning, I, I alleviate the itching. So you gave steroids, and you know, these patients are the ones who say, it works, but whenever I stop, I flare back up again. So I end up using the steroid again, and then whenever I stop, I flare back up again. So now you have made me addicted to the steroids, doctor. So in this case, what I tell them is you do use your steroid, and then when you clear up, I switch them over to Eucrisa for maintenance, and when they flare up again, then you use the steroid again. So by doing that, you're bringing the inflammation down gradually over time, to the point that you, all you need may be just monotherapy with Eucrisa, but they have to put in the time. So I call those my unhappy rebounders. So at least with every case, you need to have a, some sort of approach. So that's with that. So real world uh, case study. Oh, this is a new slide deck. Uh, I wasn't really responsible. When I first saw this, it said that it was a 65-year-old subject, and I was thinking, what body part was this? So I had a hard time trying to decide what body part that is. I said, am I in a Eucrisa lecture or a Viagra lecture? So, but you know, somebody from uh, Pfizer actually said it is a finger, uh, it is a thumb. So, okay, it's an acral area. And I said, I see, I get the point now. It's an area of very thick skin. So I said, I think it's an ideal area because uh, I know with the chrysaborol, and you know, chrysaborol has boron in it. 
And the reason why they put in the boron in this uh, molecule is because boron actually is a technology used to, to help the molecule to penetrate hard to penetrate surfaces such as the nail or the, the thick skin such as the acral area. So it makes sense that they use the thumb as an example. Uh, I was just confused for a minute there. And uh, so that actually helped. This is a very good case where you, Eucrisa would actually work because it could get to where the action is, which is in the epidermis and the dermis, even if the epidermis is very thick and hard to penetrate. So look at this 65-year-old's thumb, and look what happened. With Eucrisa, it looks like a 40-year-old thumb. Okay, the summary now is Eucrisa is the first uh, of its class that steroid-free topical PDE4 inhibitor monotherapy that's indicated for the treatment of mild to moderate atopic dermatitis in patients two years and older. And significantly more Eucrisa patients achieve success in ISGA at day 29. And as I said, you need to know ISGA, you need to know what one means, what zero means, or three or two, because that's what the prior auth is gonna say. And of course, the people are approving your prior auth can only understand the numbers, not what you put down as mild, moderate, clear, or almost clear. They can only understand numbers because after all, people who approve your prior auth may have just that, barely had a high school diploma, and that's the one who is controlling your life. So, unfortunately. So, the most common adverse reaction is burning and stinging. As I said, do not forget to mention that to your patients, and also counsel them about what to do to reduce the number of phone calls because they love calling you at 1 a.m. I hate it when they say, oh, did I wake you up? No, at 1 a.m., you know, I, I'm, I'm just hanging around waiting for your phone call. But anyway, so that's what they do. Safety profile was established in the pivotal trials and also in the 48 week open-label long-term safety extension study. So you could actually talk about long-term safety with this product. So Eucrisa is a single prescription medicine that can be applied to the skin anywhere on the face and the body. But make sure you remind them not to put it in the eyes, not to eat it, and not for use in the intravaginal area. So at this point, I'm open to questions. Thank you. Okay, clinically, when do you bring in Eucrisa when patients are also using topical steroids and TCIs? So what's the role of Eucrisa? As I mentioned to you, you could use Eucrisa 
at the point of first flare. If you catch it early enough, you could put your crystal right away to bring down the flare. But sometimes the flare happens overnight, it's really bad. What you could do is you could use your topical steroid and then finish it off with your Euchrysa. Or what you could do too is that you could use Euchrysa for maintenance for your rebounders. So with the TCIs and, and, you know, and Euchrysa, they're both non-steroidal. But if you are one of those who love to talk about the black box, then go ahead and use that. And then you have to also consider, remember, we're not just clinicians. We are also financial consultants. If you get those through, then if you're comfortable with whatever you're comfortable with, those are things that you could also use. Okay, what would you recommend to prevent the frequently occurring worsening in the first week of treatment? I keep having people discontinue even when I advise them of the possibilities and that it goes away over around a week. So I did mention that, you know, you could, in the office, make some recommendations about using something cold, using a cold, a, a, a gauze, a cold gauze, or what you could do is incorporate a topical steroid first to bring it down and then finish off the flare with the Euchrysa. That's it? Any more questions? It's crystal clear? Okay. Yeah, that's it. At this point, thank you very much. Oh, do you, are you available for hire for parties? Only if I don't come out of the cake. <laughs> and I'm not going to wear the, the nose for Bozo the Clown. But I can do stand-up com comedy. Okay. Do you use Eucrisa first line in mild to moderate patients? Yes. Do you use it in severe patients? Once I get the severity down, then I switch them to Eucrisa. Clinically, when do you bring in, okay, that's what, okay. Is, are there more before, okay. And then whoever asked the hiring, I will discuss with you privately about my rates. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. This has been a presentation of Dermcast.tv, the official online media resource for the Society of Dermatology PAs.